Last Sunday, we announced our advanced commitment for our Love South Park Initiative capital campaign. We had 29 families from the leadership of our congregation to make their commitment early ahead of today. And we had one more come in just after that. And so coming into this morning, we have 30 families who've committed $1 million. $35,180 towards our goal. Yeah, praise God. That's just incredible. Uh, towards our goal of $1.65 million. Now, that is for our capital campaign. Uh, today, we also have an opportunity to make a commitment for one year uh, for next year's ministry and, and how we're going to serve God here through our, our time and our talents and through our financial gifts. Uh, that's just incredible. These, these 30 families uh, for the capital campaign have really set us up, positioned us well, for today to be very special, uh, for today to be a very special day as we think about the vision that God has given us to be the spiritual crossroads of this community of South Park, to be the place where the church and the community intersect. And from a biblical perspective, uh, our main image has been Jesus who met a woman uh, who was at a well. And that woman didn't go to the well to find God. She went to do an everyday activity to, to get a drink of water. And when she went to do that, she encountered the living Christ. And so we are in the process of relaunching our church to be relevant to the South Park community, just as it was relevant to the Sharon community 52 years ago. Uh, we've torn down our campus. We've renamed uh, our church. We've done a lot of internal structure changes. And this is all with the intent of reaching people for Jesus. And a big part of this is our Love South Park initiative, where we're rebuilding the campus right across the street from the South Park Mall into a mixed-use development where people are going to live and people are going to work and people are going to come shop and, and eat and, and do life together. And in the midst of that is going to be us, the church, Jesus' body in the world here in the South Park community. And our goal is to reach as many people as we can for Jesus Christ. And by, by redoing uh, our campus, we're going to expose ourselves to be able to connect with over 12,000 people each week compared to about 700 people each week in our old campus. And so we're very excited about establishing new relationships and, and new friendship with the folks in our community. Uh, it, it's also allowing us to be good stewards of the resources God has given us. We're going to own a portion of the retail there uh, in the complex, and the income from that's going to go to help pay for our buildings, our brick and mortar, so that more of the money that you and I and all those who are going to be coming to our church give to the church is going to go towards ministry rather than so much to brick and mortar. And so we think that's a really good way to be good stewards of what God's blessed us with. We're also excited that we're kind of getting a chance to go back into some of American history. When they used to build towns in our country, way back at the very beginning, they would usually put the church right in the middle of the, of the town or the city, and all the businesses would, would be growing up around that. And we're getting an opportunity to do that right here in the heart of the, one of the most dynamic communities in all of the southeast. And so we're excited for that. And at the same time, the way that we're doing it is kind of unique, and we don't know of anyone else who's doing it quite the way that, we're, that God's called us to do that. And so we also have an opportunity to kind of create a new model of ministry for the 21st century for churches that are blessed with incredible location. And we've had interest from churches all over the U.S., from Washington to Las Vegas to Louisville to Houston, Texas. And we had a church uh, in Belgium. Their pastor came to meet with us and, and learn about it. And so God's just given us this incredible vision to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And, and the most important thing that we're doing is that we're trying to position ourselves to reach as many people for Jesus as possible. 
Because for the very first time in this great country, in the United States of America, the fastest growing religious affiliation is no religious affiliation. It's not Protestant, it's not Catholic, it's not Methodist, it's not Baptist, it's not Pentecostal, it's none. I just don't want to have anything to do with religion or church or God. And so from a perspective of people who follow Jesus Christ, it's heartbreaking because we know what it's like to have a, a life that is rich in Jesus, a, a full life, living life to the full with, a, with joy and peace and purpose and meaning and the hope of resurrection. And, and so when we, when we see that and we hear that, it, it hurts us in our hearts. And I'm sure if you're like me, you can think of someone right now in your life. Maybe it's a family member or a neighbor or a a friend or someone you work with or someone you go to school with or someone you play sports with or involved in dance or, or music that doesn't know the love of Jesus. And your greatest hope for them this holiday season is they would find this relationship with Jesus. That's why we're doing what we're doing. But it's not just for the folks that that we know. It's for the people that we don't know yet. It's for the people that will move here sometime in the near or far future. It's for the people, the children who are not yet born, who will will be born. And at some point, they're going to be in the area of, of South Park. And just like our founders 50 years ago had no clue that 52 years later, you and I would be here. We have no idea who's going to be in the new campus coming to find Jesus for the first time 50 years from now. And so what we're doing is so very important. And that's why we've taken time to think and pray about what it is that God's calling each one of us to do. Because we each have something very special that we can give to God today as we think about making a commitment to bring Jesus Christ to our community here in South Park. And so we've been looking a lot in the Bible for inspiration, and I want to continue doing that today with one of my very favorite stories, very favorite characters, real-life person. And we're going to go way back in the Bible, back to the very first book, the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. And this is about 1,900 years before Jesus was even born. So there's a lot of history here, but I think there's a lot of continuity that still speaks to us today. Real people, just a different time. And so uh, there was a man, a young boy actually named Joseph. And Joseph had 11 brothers. And Joseph's parents played favorites with their children, which is never a good idea. And so Joseph was one of his father's very favorites. In fact, at the top of the list there. And so his dad treated him differently than he treated his other children. And he gave Joseph preferential treatment. He gave him special favors. He gave him a coat of many colors. Maybe you've heard of that. or Maybe you've seen the Broadway play. And and so uh, Joseph also had these dreams that, that God gave to him. And in these dreams, Joseph's brothers were bowing down to him and his parents were bowing down to him. And, and Joseph, not being a savvy yet mature young man, yet uh, he actually told his brothers about that. And that didn't really help matters much. And so uh, that led to them literally hating Joseph. They hated him and they, they, they made plans to kill him. Can you imagine making plans to kill someone in your family? Maybe after Thanksgiving you might be there. I don't know. But, uh, uh, but uh, the brothers, were they wanted to kill him. Uh, but one of them said, no, no, we can't do that. But we can still mess him up pretty good. And so uh, one day they, they waited on Joseph. Joseph came by. They, they beat him up. They threw him into a pit. They ripped up his fancy coat, put blood on it, and told their dad he died. And, and what they decided to do was sell him into slavery. So there was a, a caravan coming, going down to Egypt, their neighboring uh, neighbor to the south. Egypt at that time was the most powerful country in all of the world and, and not always on good relationships with Israel. And so, uh, so he was sold into slavery, right? A very early victim of human trafficking, 
sold by his own family into slavery. And so Joseph was sold into slavery. And I just can't imagine the emotions that he's going through. Betrayal, fear, anger, physically beaten up, just, you know, this, this, this pain in his life, in his heart, being sold into slavery to a land that he doesn't speak the language, people he doesn't even know, never going to see his family again. And so Joseph is sold and he's bought. He's bought by a very powerful man in Egypt. His name was Potiphar, and he was the captain of the guard, right? Like the head military leader in this mighty country that ruled the, the whole world in that area back those days. And, and so Potiphar bought Joseph. Now, Joseph could have been really bitter, and I'm sure he had his moments. And he could have, like, you know, been passive aggressive and tried to mess things up for Potiphar or just outright said, this is unjust. I'm not going to serve you. You can just go ahead and kill me. But the Bible says that God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph in this adversity. Joseph used his, his gifts and abilities, his, his relational abilities, his intelligence, his, his hard work ethic. And so pretty soon he, he was noticed by Potiphar as standing out for making a contribution to the household. And so we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 39 where the Bible says this about Joseph. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. So this lowly foreigner, this boy, this slave who's been ripped from his home has been sold into slavery, human trafficked, and now because God is with him and Joseph has an attitude that is just pure and good and wanting to make the situation as good as he can and, and, and bless those around him, found favor in God's eyes, found favor in Potiphar's eyes, and this, this mighty ruler, the military ruler, think about a, a general in the United States Army, makes this young slave in charge of his household. I trust you with my money. I trust you with the other servants. I trust you with my home. Right? That's the kind of guy Joseph was. That, that, that's the kind of God that we serve. And so Joseph did well. Now, Mrs. Potiphar, she's not named in the Bible, but Potiphar's wife notices what's going on, and she finds Joseph very attractive, and so she tries to seduce him. And he resists her, and he says, Look, uh, Potiphar has trusted me with everything. and you know, You're the most prized possession. Now, ladies, you're not possessions, right? And, but in those days, women were, were more of like a possession. I'm sure Joseph said something like, you know, You're the most important part of Potiphar's household, and there's no way I could betray him. There's no way I could betray him like that. And so Joseph does the right thing. But she becomes so angry and so incensed that she's been spurned. And so what she does is she makes up a lie that Joseph was the one that came on to her. And so Potiphar, her husband, believes her. He's angry. And then he casts Joseph into prison. Right? I can't imagine what an Egyptian prison you know, 4,000 years ago was like, but I'm guessing it was no picnic. And so, again, Joseph is in this adverse situation. He's done the right thing. He's been a good steward. He's used his resources well to, to, to make all the people in, in his surrounding area have their lives enhanced. And, and God has recognized this. And so now he's punished for his good behavior. Right? So he's thrown into prison. And again, he could have had a terrible attitude saying, I'm just going to keep to myself. I'm not going to try to help anybody. Or I'm just so mad. I'm just going to fight all the time. Or, you know, I'm just I'm tired. I'm just going to give up and die. But that's not who Joseph was. Joseph did not let his circumstances dictate his character. 
Joseph did not let his circumstances dictate his character or dictate his faith. God was with him. He continued to trust God. He wanted to make his environment a better place, and so he used his resources. He used his mind. He used his relationships. He used his hard work to be noticed and to make prison life better for those who were around him. Can you imagine? Make prison life better for those who were around him, and he was noticed. Let's continue with Genesis chapter 39. So the warden of the prison put Joseph in charge of all those that were held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. Just like Joseph rose to the top of Potiphar's household, now Joseph rises to the top of the the jail uh, hierarchy because he is faithful to God. And he loves people and he wants to make the world a better place. And he wants to use his resources that God has given him to serve other people. And God honors that and, and Joseph is elevated. And so even in the worst of circumstances, Joseph chose to do the right thing. He chose to use what he'd been given to help other people, and God was with Joseph. Now, a couple of those prisoners that are in, in, the, in the Egyptian jail were two of Pharaoh's officers, and they had done something to make Pharaoh mad, so he threw them into the jail. Pharaoh is the ruler of Egypt. He's like the, the, the king of Egypt. He's the top guy. And so uh, Joseph has been given this gift from God to interpret dreams. And, and each of these, these guys has dreams. Joseph interprets them. They come true. One of them ends very badly and one of them goes very well. And so the one guy gets out of jail, uh, but he forgets about Joseph for a while. But then Pharaoh has these crazy dreams and no one can interpret them. None of his advisors, nobody. And so the guy says, he remembers Joseph suddenly and he says, Pharaoh, there's a guy I met in prison. He told me about the dream. It came true and you might want to consult him. So Pharaoh gets Joseph brought to him from the prison. He tells him these crazy dreams, like these seven skinny cows eat these seven like uh, fat cows, and, and no one can tell what's going on. And so Joseph, through God's power, is able to interpret the dream. And he says, Pharaoh, there are going to be seven years of plenty in the land of Egypt. You're going to have lots of food, lots of crops. It's going to be awesome. And that's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And there's not going to be any food and people are going to starve and it's going to become a barren wasteland. And so I would advise you in the seven years of plenty that you should you should take a a lot and set it aside to get everyone through the seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh hears this from Joseph and he he stops and he contemplates. And this is what happens. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Do you see what happened here? God again is with Joseph, and he has been a slave. He has been a prisoner, and now he is the second in command of the greatest country in all of the world at that time. And he was a foreign slave, a foreign ex-con, and now he has been elevated to help Pharaoh save the entire country. And so Joseph, again, uses his resources. He uses relational skills. He uses his brain power. I'm sure he's now wealthy and uses some of his own resources financially to set aside for seven years of famine. When the seven years of famine come, the people of Egypt are taken care of because of Joseph's faithfulness, because of his vision, because of what God has done in his life. And not just the people of Egypt that are saved, it's people from surrounding countries who come to Egypt to find food, including Joseph's family. 
the family that abandoned him, the family that betrayed him, the family that hated him, the family that sold him out, sold him up the river, they come and they find forgiveness from Joseph, their brother. And they are fed and they are taken care of. And it all happens because God is God and God was with Joseph. And Joseph used every resource that was available to him. His mind, his personality, his work ethic, his, his interrelational skills, his, even his own financial resources. Joseph did everything that he could because he wanted to make the world a better place. He wanted to be a true servant of God. He wanted to bless people wherever he was, no matter what the circumstances are. And I think that says, brothers and sisters, that we can be like Joseph that we all have something to offer to God. We all have something to offer to the community. Some of us are going through very difficult times right now. We think, well, there's nothing that I have to offer God. Some of us are, are in a great spot and we're like, yeah, I'm excited to offer to, something to God. And some of us are, are kind of in the middle. But Joseph's story shows us no matter what the circumstances, when we're open to God and we're willing to give God whatever it is that God's blessed us with, we can be a blessing to others and we can be blessed in the process. In the New Testament, the same theme is there as we see in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Each of you, each of us should use whatever gifts we've been given to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. A steward means we take care of the resources of another person. Joseph was a great steward. We are called to be great stewards of our time, our talents, our abilities, our money, all the resources that we've been given are to be used to serve God and to serve others just like Joseph. And so as we think about this, right, so what does that mean for me? So what is the point? So what's the big, big idea? I think what God's trying to tell us today, what God's been trying to tell us throughout this series is that God wants us to be kingdom builders. God wants us to be like Joseph, to build up the kingdom of God in this world to build up the kingdom of God in, our, in the South Park community, to build up the kingdom of God in our home, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our school, on the ball field, wherever we find ourselves, if we are like Joseph, we use the resources God has given us to serve other people, we will make a difference and we will live life to the full and God will be with us and God will show us amazing things in our lives. God calls us to be kingdom builders, to build up the kingdom of God here in our community. And it's not just following Joseph. It's also following our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Right? When Jesus was in heaven and he looked down on the earth and he saw that his wonderful creation that was created in his image were, were, were capable and doing some amazing things. But that we also were capable of disobeying God and going our own way and being prideful and, and, and doing wrong things and bringing uh, brokenness into our lives. Broken relationships with each other, broken relationships with God. We know what it's like to do things wrong that bring guilt into our lives and bring shame into our lives. And Jesus said, I don't want that. I don't want people to be separated or broken or experience hell, right? This separation from other people in right relationships. And so Jesus left the comfort of heaven where he's king and he came to the earth and he became a human being, a fragile human being while still remaining God. And he walked among us and he laughed and he taught and he did great things. He also wept and he cried because he experiences the hardships that it is to be a human being. And he was betrayed by those that were close to him. He, he even was killed in one of the most heinous, horrible ways. He was nailed to a cross and he did all of that because he, like Joseph, wanted to use everything that he had to serve other people. And so Jesus gave it all so that you and I can be forgiven. 
so that we can receive joy and peace and, and get rid of guilt and shame so that we can live life to the full. We can find purpose and meaning in our lives and we can make a difference and we can look forward to living forever in the kingdom of heaven. And so when Jesus was resurrected, when he came back to life, he gives us access to all of that. And he still continues to give to us. He sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. That's that part of God that is, is with us every day. And, and Jesus is the is defeat of sin and wrongdoing and guilt and shame and death and hell on the cross. It still stands because he's the resurrected Savior. And so we now have a chance to be like Joseph, to be like Jesus, and to use what God has given us to use our resources to serve our community, our families, and to serve the people who aren't even here yet because we want to be just like Jesus. And what a wonderful opportunity that is to be a part of something bigger than who we are. I was reading a, a book, an adventure book, uh, real life stories about people who do some amazing things and uh, some crazy things, some dangerous things. And this one guy, he's 35 years old, lived in Texas, wanted to move to Alaska because he thought that would present a lot of adventure. And so he moved to Alaska, and he was having a great time there. And uh, this guy was a photographer, and he did lots of uh, photography, especially like natural stuff, nature stuff, animals, landscapes. What better place to be than Alaska? And so what he decided to do is he's going to pay somebody to fly him up into a very remote part of Alaska and spend like the whole summer there. And so in March, he contracted with this uh, bush pilot to fly him up where no one else was going to be. And, and so he packed all these supplies up. He, uh, he got like 500 rolls of film that he, and his, you know, his great cameras to take up there. And he had a shotgun, a couple of rifles, going to do a little bit of hunting and protection you know, from wild animals. And he also had 1,400 pounds of food and provisions because he left in March. He, he was going to stay through August. And so uh, the bush pilot flies up, has the pontoons on the little plane, lands on the lake, gets them unloaded, takes off. Hey, good luck, buddy. And, and for months, this guy's having a great time. He's taking pictures. He's having solitude in nature. He's just enjoying being out there, seeing the beautiful scenery, exploring all that kind of stuff, being a, you know, a self-sufficient kind of a person. And, and, then, and so before he knows it, August rolls around and it's starting to get a little bit chilly and his, his food's about out, his ammunition's about out, all that kind of stuff. And so he begins to wonder you know, when he's going to get picked up. And then he realizes... And all of the excitement and getting everything planned that he forgot to tell the pilot to come back and pick him up, right? That would be something that your boneheaded pastor would do. You know, you make all these great plans and you have all this stuff. You're so excited, but the most important part you forget to do. And so he really starts to freak out because he is out there and no one's going to find him forever. And so, he, you know, he's just trying to figure out how to, you know, make the food he has last, you know, hang on to the few bullets and shells that he has to hunt and all that kind of stuff. And, but it's getting cold and he's getting worried. And so one day he's out trying to trap some ducks, trying to, to get some ducks for some, for some dinner and, and some to, you know, store up and, and hang on to. And, and he hears a beautiful sound and it's the sound of an airplane engine. And so he immediately runs and he grabs the cover for a sleeping bag that's neon orange and he's waving it up there and, and the plane circles around. So it, it's apparent that it's it's one of those small planes that has seen him. And he's just like, yeah, this is awesome, you know. And, and the plane had wheels. It didn't have the pontoon, so it couldn't land. And so uh, after a couple of times circling around, the plane takes off. The guy's excited. He goes back. He starts packing up his stuff. He's got all the journals he's written, all the film he's shot, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and one day goes by, and another day goes by, and another day goes by, and there's no plane. And he really starts feeling bad. 
And then one afternoon, he's just reading through some of his stuff, and he looks at his hunting license, and on the back of his hunting license uh, has all these uh, symbols for what you're supposed to do, how you communicate with, with aircraft from the ground, and immediately his heart sank. Because he remembered back that when the plane came, he, he kind of did something like, you know, yeah, you know, kind of like when your team scores a touchdown, you know, yay, Panthers, way to go, right? And he's just, you know, doing that kind of a fist bump, and he was super excited. But he saw on his hiking pass that, that the symbol for everything's okay is putting up one arm, right? So what he was telling the guy up in the plane was, hey, all's okay here. And the symbol for I need help, the symbol for SOS is two arms saying, help me, right? I'm in trouble, right? So he should have done this, but he did this instead, right? That was a costly mistake. Because he didn't make it out. He, he died and they found his body in a cave nearby with his journals uh, and just chronicling what he had done. And as I think about the people in our community who are here, the people who are yet to be born, the, the people in our world, our friends and our family that, that don't know the love of Jesus Christ, I, my heart goes out to them because I think sometimes we think that we're living life to the full. We think that you know, we're doing everything that's great. We love our job. We love our families. We're in extracurricular stuff. We've got you know, nice houses to live in. We've got stuff. And we're like, yeah, you know, I'm living life to the full, and it's awesome. And, and I think people experience you know, good life. They're experiencing good life. But, but without Jesus, at some point, there's going to be something missing. To where we say, you know, I, I, I love my life. I love my family. I love my house. I, I love my job. And, and maybe some of us are saying, I don't love all those things or I don't have all those things. And, you know, and from the spectrum in there, somehow some doing really well, some not doing so great, you know, emotionally, physically, uh, mentally, all that kind of stuff. At some point, without Jesus, we're going to have this, this sense of emptiness that there's something missing in our lives. That there's something more to life. That, that there's some loneliness. There's, there's some hole inside of us that we can't fill. And, and life to the full is okay, but it's not what it could be. And, and those of us who follow Jesus and we've, we've entered into this loving personal relationship, we, we've discovered that the secret of life is surrendering to God. Right? It's like hands up. right? Stick them up. Lord, I can't make it without you. Yeah, I love my life. I love my job. I love my family. I love where I live. I, I, I love all these things. Or God, I don't have all those things, and I and I'm I'm missing things. Wherever it is, Lord, without you, I'm not complete. And our goal, brothers and sisters, and what we're doing in relaunching our church is to help people go from this to this. To say, Lord, I surrender to you. I've been created in your image, but I stray from you. And my relationships aren't the best that they could be. And I need you, Lord. I'm tired of carrying guilt and shame around God. I want to replace that with joy and peace. I want to live life to the full. I want to live forever in the kingdom of heaven, God. That's what we want to help people find out is how to surrender to Jesus, right? How to put the hands up. But... But there's a really cool part of that, too. It's, it's like, this is the sign for touchdown, right? This is the sign that I scored. Like, thank you, God. Thank you for loving me so much that you created me in your image. Thank you, God, so much that you came and died on the cross for me. Thank you, God, that you were resurrected. You're the living God, and, and you have forgiven me, and you've given me purpose, and you've given me meaning in my life, and I get to be a part of something bigger than who I am. Thank you for filling that empty hole inside of me. Thank you, God, that I could share this with other people. God, my relationships with my family are better because of you. I love my job better because of you, because you're in my life. God, I love everything about my life is better because you are my Lord and Savior and I surrender all. 
And that's what I'm inviting you to do today. That's what I'm inviting you to do, to join my wife, Laura, and me and our two boys, is to surrender to Jesus and say, thank you, God, for what you did for us on the cross. To surrender our time and our talents and abilities. You've given me the gift to be able to do this, God. I want to do it for you through the ministries of the church. To surrender our financial resources. God, I I want to help the ministries of the church thrive. I, I want to help build this new campus so that we can help lead people who are far from God to you, Lord. I want to be a kingdom builder. Will you be a kingdom builder with us? And that's why we're here. We're here to make an eternal difference today.